Hi there. You're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. So welcome everybody. Welcome to church today and online family. My name is Ruan. I'm one of the elders here at Trinity Church. Nice to see everybody today. Um, so Pastor TJ gave me an opportunity to speak today. So of course I have to make sure that everybody, um, you know, has a few jokes at his expense, right? So uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, my fellow elder, uh, Daniel Lumpkin, was speaking, and I think he tried to make it quite clear. I think he was very deliberate about just everybody knows that he is not Pastor Joseph, right? If you remember that, he was very deliberate. Pastor Joseph is pastor from our sister church in the Congo. Uh, so I thought today, just for clarification purposes again, seeing as that I have my Hawaiian shirt on, same as TJ does, seeing as that you can see my little toes, same as him, uh, we have with his Greek blood and my South African blood in my veins, we like lamb, we like garlic, all these things, so maybe we smell the same. But there's one very obvious difference between the two of us. And... Okay, I think you, you, get what I'm, you get what I'm trying to say. So for those online, Instagram, Facebook people, any angle is fine. Go ahead, take a picture. It, it, it'll, it'll work. It's going to be okay. So uh, that's, that's one for you, TJ, just for you, buddy. Um, so last week, you might remember TJ uh, spoke and started the series on catching the wave. Uh, and he spoke very deliberately about the idea that we do not generate the wave, right? We are not the ones that are doing the work. God does the work, and all he's asking of us is to step in and step up. That was literally his request for us last week. He said, take this week and think about what are the things that you can do this week, right? We're not just Sunday to Sunday believers, right? We need to step in and step up when God does things and when he asks us to do things. So continuing that same discussion, uh, this week we're going to talk a little bit about uh, not only catching the wave, but replicating God's heart. So that's the theme I'm talking about. But first things first, I'm going to just show you a picture of my family, uh, because some of you or not all of you know me. So that's my beautiful family, um, my wonderful, amazing wife, uh, and my five beautiful kids. So we're from South Africa. Uh, I've been in the States. We've been in the States for about 11, 12 years now, something like that, and been part of the Trinity family for about 10 years now. So really love our Trinity family and this church. We really appreciate appreciate all of you. made us feel like family, but you are welcome to invite us to some barbecues more regularly if you feel that way, right? Um, so continuing the discussion just about replicating God's heart. Um, and the thing that Pastor TJ was focusing on and what I want to focus on a little bit is that God creates the waves. We don't. Replicating God's heart means the pressure is not on me, right? I'm not replicating out of myself. I'm not trying to use this sort of worldly, human, fleshly heart that I have and try and replicate something magic out of it. The pressure is not on me. So the message is very clear. God does the work. We don't have to worry about it, right? It's His heart that we're trying to replicate, not our own, okay? Um, so the concern w would be, and as I sort of prepared for this, I thought a little bit about, um, so what would happen if I miss that? What would happen if I miss God's heart and I believe that I need to try and replicate that goodness, that love that God has out of our own hearts. That's a, it's a concerning thing to think about, right? When we know our hearts are stubborn and failed, as the Word says. Um, so I'll show you another picture of my family. This is a picture of my mom and dad. Um, this is the absolute best picture I could find of the two of them. Um, uh, very, very fitting. This was one of those moments where everybody had a camera up and everybody was like, Hey, kiss mom! And men don't kiss. 
while people are taking pictures. That's just gross, right? So that was my dad's reaction to that moment. But uh, yeah, great people, love them a lot. Um, my mom, for those, a lot of you know my mom, but uh, she's had sickness basically most of her life. She, um, still today, she wakes up most days in pain and suffering. Um, some days better, some days worse. But unfortunately, it's just part of her, her path, right? So she's always been in pain and uh, throughout our lives, of course, it's been a lot of prayers, a lot of doctor visits, a lot of trying to help, a lot of doing uh, what God wants of us, but um, she still struggles till today. And uh, as you know, our human bodies are created so that we, we have cells that die inside of our bodies every single day, every single second. As you're sitting right here now, they say between two, two to three million cells are dying uh, and replicating. New ones are being created. New healthy cells are being created every second. They talk about during a day, you have between two to three billion cells. Old ones die, new ones get replicated, right? New ones come that are healthy and good cells. And it's a beautiful image of you know, something that becomes healthy and whole again. Unfortunately for my mom, uh, I remember on one of our doc her doctor's visits again, she came back from the visit, um, and the doctors were still a little bit stumped. They were like, we still don't know how to really fix you, right? We don't know what's really wrong, because you've been sick for so long. You've had a pattern of sickness in your life for so long that as those old cells die inside your body, your body is actually replicating unhealthy cells and sick cells again, right? And so that is a physical thing happening to my mom, but it's a very similar concept for us in our spiritual walk and our, our walk with God, right? That we have to be very careful that if we miss God's heart and we just step a little bit off to the side and that fills normally with all those words we don't like to speak about, selfishness and pride and stubbornness and these things, I might just be replicating something that isn't whole, that isn't the way God wants it to be, right? So it's a... It's a crucial part that we don't miss God's heart. We don't want to replicate sickness by trying to work from our own stubborn hearts. Um, and I think that's exactly it. Uh, the Bible says we have stubborn hearts. So maybe you can do it just slowly if you don't want anybody to see, but who's got a stubborn heart? Anybody? There's other words for it. In my daughter's case, it's hard-headedness, right? Uh, difficult, you know, uh, just listen to me and stop talking type of things, right? But we all have stubborn hearts, uh, and the Word is very clear on it. So just for fun, I wrote down a couple of verses, uh, not verses, but phrases we commonly say when we talk about the heart, right? So one of the ones I wrote down is, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. For Pastor TJ and Robin, so maybe that, that helps Robin if you can hear me anywhere. That's the focus. Uh, we have a couple of nice ones, right? If you meet somebody that's really sweet and really nice, like Derek, you say that guy's got a heart of gold, right? Nice guy. Um, some of the weirder ones, and maybe afterwards you guys can explain to me these ones. Um, cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. You guys, that's just sick. That's just nasty, right? So um, maybe afterwards somebody can explain that one to me. And an uh, unfortunate one for my wife is uh, the word that she uses a lot is heartburn, which is something she's had since her first daughter came around. As soon as she was pregnant, heartburn was part of our lives. She would wake up in the middle of the night like gagging from the heartburn. I'd be like, "Woo! I'm so glad I don't know what that is, you know. But then in contrast to that, there's quite a few very familiar verses in Scripture that talks about the heart. And most of these verses, in some cases, I know some of these verses, when I've gone through tough times in my life, some of these verses have been things that I've anchored my life to, right? So maybe let's be a little bold. As I read a verse, just give me an amen, raise your hand, if any of these verses ring true to any of you, if anything sort of speaks to a time you went through in your life where you like these verses. So first one, Psalm 51, 
verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and give me uh, and renew a steadfast spirit within me, right? Just foundational verses. Woo, there I get it here. Uh, Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, right? Beautiful. Anybody? Sounds familiar, right? Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. I think that not leaning in your own understanding, that's the stubborn one. It's easy. It's all in there. Proverbs 4, 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flow from it, right? Beautiful. And then a little bit of a Less known one, but one I really enjoy, Proverbs 23, 26. My son, my daughter, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. That's a beautiful image, and that's the sort of core of what I want to talk about today, right? It is not your heart. God asks us to give our hearts to Him, and He will literally change the way we see the world. He will literally change us from the inside out, right? A beautiful image. So there's also... um, in biblical times, and you know, again, just studying on the heart and things like that, there, uh, there was in the, in the Bible times, and still actually today in the Jewish culture, there was a very famous prayer or a very well-known prayer uh, that the Jewish culture would say every morning, every evening. Like I say, still some of the Jewish culture still do it today, and this prayer was called the Shema, which is a prayer for Jewish people and their commitment to God. It was a prayer showing their devotion to God. And the prayer is, again, something we all have heard many times in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That oneness, of course, it refers to there is uh, the magnificence of God. He is the only living God. There is no other next to Him. It also speaks of the oneness of the Trinity of God, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that Trinity. So it's funny, Jewish people don't always believe in the Trinity, but the prayer they've prayed, prayed from the beginning of time indicates the Trinity of God, right? So they've actually prayed that prayer over themselves. Just an interesting side to it, right? So it's a beautiful prayer. Um, we shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, right? So the word talks a lot about heart, and in biblical times it was a little tricky. They didn't have doctors and x-rays and all these fancy things we do these days, so they didn't fully comprehend the difference between the brain and the heart. So they didn't understand that these are two separate organs, the one for pumping blood and the one for thinking, right? So they sort of grouped these things together. So in a lot of scripture, a lot of text, when you read, that heart could mean a lot of different things. It could mean your physical heart, your spiritual heart, your, your thoughts, your choices, your emotions. They would sort of lump all this together in your heart, right? Uh, and one of, the, one of the YouTube channels or groups I follow, they, they actually talked about it in quite a nice way. They talked about all of your muchness. So when you think about your heart... Think about all of your muchness. It's literally everything of what you are. That is the heart they refer to. And then I sort of took that a little bit further and say, okay, go with me a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about God's muchness. Now, tricky, right? God's muchness and the creator of the universe, it doesn't sound like it's matching really. It doesn't go one to one. But when I think, in my quietness when I'm alone, if I think about God's muchness, then it is overwhelming, right? The God of the universe that created all things, All things for all eternity. The God that's everlasting, never fading. The God that loves me. The God that has my name written on the palm of his hand. The God that sent his son to die for me because he loves me, right? And that now today sends his spirit to live in me because he wants to live in an intimate and close relationship with me and with each one of us. That muchness, if I frame it like that, that's cool muchness. I like 
I like that muchness of God, right? So trying to explain God's heart is clearly way beyond my human capacity. So I'll just uh, leave it at God's muchness. Right? Now we take that muchness of God and we contrast that to our human hearts, right? The human hearts that we rely on, the human hearts that likes that stubborn and hard-headedness a little bit. So in Scripture, there's a very stark comparison between God's everlasting glory and our human hearts that uh, the Word says is foolish. So if you read with me a little bit Romans 1, verses 21 to 23, I'll, I'll read out of the Passion Translation. Um, Throughout human history, the fingerprint of God were upon them, yet they refused to honor Him. That fingerprint they're talking about is the creation. He created us. That's His fingerprint that's on us, right? So we literally know Him by the fact that He created us. Um, but they refused to honor Him as God or even be thankful for His kindness. Instead, they entertained corrupt and foolish thoughts about what God was like. Right? Sort of sounds heavy. This left them with nothing but misguided hearts steeped in moral darkness. Although claiming to be wise, claiming to be wise, sounds stubborn to me, they were in fact shallow fools. For only a fool, only a fool would trade the unfading splendor and the immortal God to worship the fading image of other humans, idols, made to look like people, animal, birds, or creeping reptiles, right? This is, this is literally us saying, when they talk about idols there, they're saying anything in my life that I put above God. Right? And I said that at the first service. When I'm, when I'm having an argument with my wife about something, and instead of choosing to give grace, instead of coming together in unity, in that moment, that harsh as it sounds, I'm putting my own stubbornness above God. Right? That becomes my idol in that very moment. Right? God calls us to have soft, pliable hearts, and we have to be very careful of those idols. Right? What is very clear in this passage is we cannot trust our own hearts. We live... And we are trusting in my own goodness, my own understanding, my own stuff. And the word is clear that that trust just shouldn't go to my own heart. It talks about having a misguided heart steeped in darkness, right? Ooh, heavy. Claiming to be wise but becoming fools. Right? So God's muchness here is explained as unfading splendor of the immortal God. Doesn't that sound like a little bit of muchness that I'm after, right, versus my own foolish heart? The unfading splendor of the immortal God. That is amazing. So, of course, when we struggle with this and we continuously try and make God happy and do good things for God, we sort of put this effort in, right? This effort we need to do just to make God happy, right? That's what we do as Christians, right? We, we put our tithing in the box at the back. We smile to the guy at the grocery store. You know, we don't honk at the guy that cuts us off in traffic. And we just try to be good people, right? I remember as a, as a young man when I bought my, my first car, um, my dad was always very, very meticulous about his cars. Uh, this is a very unfortunate picture. The car is in the background. That's, that was my first car. Uh, the picture is, unfortunately, me and my dad coming back from a sad golf game. That's what happened there, and the ladies decided to make fun of us. So that was the picture. Uh, but the car in the background is my first car. My dad is meticulous about his cars. He would clean them like crazy. Even as a kid, he would literally walk up to me on a Saturday morning and be like, time to wash the car, and he would give me a paintbrush. And I would be like, a uh, paintbrush? Why do I need a paintbrush? He'd be like, because you need to go get the fine dust out of the vents inside the car in the dash. That's what we did as kids, right? So I get my first car. What am I going to do? Impress my dad, right? So Saturday morning, I'm out there. I'm washing this car. I'm polishing it. I'm making it look spotless. But as I'm washing it, 
it was a used car, so of course I, I look by the wheels where the brakes are and things like that, and many of you would know, if you look down there, there's always a little bit of rust build up for an older car, so I'm like, I can't wash the car this much and then have rust on it, so I walk back into the garage, I see a little spray bottle in the garage that says anti-rust on it, I'm like, bingo, I'm going to spray anti-rust on the brakes, this is going to solve my problem. So I'm down there, I spray a little bit on the brakes, the rust goes away, it looks all shiny, I'm like, home run. So I go to all four of the wheels, I spray this anti-rust on the wheels, it's a beautiful thing, and now I'm going to drive my car. And of course, I'm just hoping in the meantime the dad sees me out of the window like, good job, Ruan, you did so great, which he didn't do that day, but in any case... So I'm, I'm up the road, driving probably a little fast, for those young people driving, stop driving fast, Divan, stop driving fast. Um, music a little too loud, having fun. I come to the first intersections, a couple of cars, come to the first intersection, put my foot on the brake, no brakes. I'm like, whoop, nope, this is not good. So of course I step a little harder, come on brakes, do something, no brakes. I go over that intersection, 35 miles an hour, you just see people's eyeballs as I'm passing by. Some people hooted, and I'm just straight over the intersection. And as I get to the other side of the intersection, it's like a light bulb goes off, and my brain goes, what is that anti-rust stuff that you sprayed on the brakes? So in this country, that anti-rust stuff would be called WD-40. <laughs> I literally sprayed a lubricant on my brakes. And I, I lubed myself up and went straight over that intersection, right? I didn't even stop. Glory to God, I didn't kill anybody or myself for that matter, you know. But isn't that how our hearts are, right? What was the goal? My goal was to make my dad happy. My goal was to protect or show my dad how wonderfully I could clean my car, right? And how wonderful a job I could do about it to impress him. And isn't that what we do to God as well, right? Let me just do these good things. Let me just be this great person so people can look at me and say, oh, you're so wonderful, you're so great. Let me just polish my life so it can shine brightly so the world can see. But that's not what God asks of us, right? My earthly father, my human father, which, and I'm lucky, I'm blessed, I have a great dad, he would not love me any more or any less if my car was clean or not. But we believe God would? That's not what the Word teaches us, right? That's not what the Word teaches us. So what would change if we truly knew and understand the love that the Father has for us? And for many of you, as I see the faces, there's a lot of mature believers in this church, Right? but there's always a deeper understanding of the love that the Father has for you. You can never understand the depth of the love that He has for you. So allow that to speak to your heart. Now, right? So something happens deep inside when we get a glimpse of the Father's heart, and His heart always points to love. His heart always points to love. So in the next versions in Ephesians, it explains it beautifully. Track with me, right? Don't, uh, don't get sleepy on me. Father, out of your honorable and glorious riches... Strengthen your people, fill their souls with your power and your spirit, so, so that through faith the anointed one will, resi will reside in their hearts. May love be the rich soil where their lives take root, the rich soil where their lives take root. May it be the bedrock of their lives, the foundation, so that together with all your people, they will have the power to understand that the love of the anointed is infinitely long, infinitely wide, infinitely high, infinitely deep, surpassing everything anyone previously experienced. May God, your fullness, flood them or flood their entire beings. Isn't that beautiful, right? Just understanding that depth of God. As mature as we think our faith is, we can never understand how much God loves us, right? So let that speak to your heart now. It speaks specifically in that section, speaks specifically about being rooted in love, right? Our lives being rooted, God is love. Our hearts being and our lives being rooted in Him. 
Right? It's a beautiful image. May He be the bedrock. He is our rock. He is our salvation. We cannot fully understand how to replicate God's heart if we don't understand how much He loves us in the first place. Right? If we don't understand. In uh, 1 John 4:16, uh, in the Message translation, it's also it's just written so beautifully. So just read with me. This is how we know we are living steadily and deep, deeply in Him and Him in us right? That heart being replicated in our chests. He's given us life from His life, from His very own Spirit. Also, we've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent His Son as Savior of the world. Everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continuously in this intimate relationship. Think about that, right? Every time we confess, every time Tyler said it earlier when he talked about, why do we say the same things in church all the time? Why do we repeat this thing? Read there. Every time we confess, confess that Jesus is Son, we participate in this continuous intimate relationship. Every time I say that, I go a little deeper with God. I understand His love for me a little deeper. We know it so well. We've embraced it heart and soul, this love that comes from God, right? Embracing that love. It's a beautiful thing. So the question is for all of us, do we truly understand the love that the Father has for us? Right? I cannot do anything. I cannot replicate His heart if I don't first start by understanding how much He loves me. Right? That is the start of all things. If you want to replicate His heart, you must first have that understanding of how much He loves you. So the question is, how comfortable are you in the love department? How comfortable are you in the love department? What do you speak to yourself when you struggle, when you fail, when you come short? What do you speak to yourself? What type of words do you speak to yourself? What do you speak to those around you that fail, that don't do what you wanted to do, that have different opinions than you, that make different choices than you would? What do we speak to those people? And the reality is clear. If you struggle to love yourself, and if you struggle to love others, you have a gap. And we know that gap is God. So I'm praying today as I speak that you would allow God to fill that gap for you. Right? Allow God to fill that gap for you. Right? It's a beautiful image. The problem is, or what happens is, we talk about a lot in church, when I have that gap, when I have that struggle to understand God's love for me, loving myself, and when I struggle to share that love with others, that gap, normally we refer to it as the orphan spirit. Right? We all have a little bit of that orphan spirit inside of us, that spirit of a poor kid that just needs to be loved or just needs to share love with somebody else. And the problem with that orphan spirit, especially for us uh, mature believers, is that we believe that that leads to doing instead of just being, right? The more I do, the more I'm going to please the Father, the more I'm going to polish my car to make it look nice, the more I do these things, right? That's going to make the Father happy. But what happens is we're trying to do things for Him, for Him, while we could be living from Him. The Word says that He dwells within us. We could be living from Him instead of trying to reach something, climb some type of mountain to get to Him. We could be living from Him instead of for Him. This is a, it's not a doing word, it's a being word. So maybe right now for all of us, just close your eyes for a second and just simply think about those two words. Just think about those two words. I don't need to be a doer. I can just be. Allow His heart, allow His Spirit to fill that gap in you. Just fill us, Father. I don't need to do, I can just be. Be in His presence. Feel His heart.
you, Father. Thank you, Father. So when I, when I have moments like that, I call it taking a spiritual breath, right? That moment when the chaos of life goes like this, and sometimes I center myself, and I just force my mind to go. I'm taking a spiritual breath. I'm asking God to fill that gap. And that happens when I'm fighting with my kids, when I have a tough time at work, when I'm doing whatever. Just pause, take a spiritual breath, allow God to fill you, to fill that gap, because I can't share His love if I don't let Him fill that gap, right? It's a beautiful thing. So there's four elements to this new birth. So track with me, last four things to this new birth, this heart change that we're aiming for. And again, for most of us, this is not unfamiliar scripture, unfamiliar text. We know all this. But just as I speak, allow God's heart to speak to your heart, right? So um, the verses is in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 29. In the Amplified Bible, I'll read verse 25. This I will spring, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. Again, those idols, every time when I put whatever I want above God, that's another idol, right? That's another idol. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. You will keep my ordinances and do them. You will live in the land that I gave to your fathers and you will be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the grain and make it abundant, and I will not bring famine on you. It's a beautiful, beautiful scripture, right? Just talking about, look how many times in that scripture, my wife Nadia said this to me, she's like, look how many times it says, I will. It's not you do this, you do that. God says, I will make you clean. I will put a new flesh. I will put a new heart in you. I will put a new spirit in you. This is not a burden on us. It's a very freeing idea. God does the work. He is the one that generates the waves. Our job is to ride them. Just step into that place, right? One small step at a time. Living by the rules doesn't help, right? God says He will. God is not calling us to follow a set of new rules. God is calling us to be a new kind of people, right? We all like to follow rules, but that's not what God calls from us, right? He wants us to feel something different. And when we understand that we're not rule followers, we become open vessels where God can live within us, where God can fill us, right? If you have struggles in your life, if you're struggling with sin, repetitive issues, things you haven't come past, things you haven't broken through yet, if I live in a place where I continually say, I'm just going to stop doing this, I'm going to treat my wife better, I'm going to do this kind thing, right? That's not what God is calling us. He says, allow me to fill you so much that that sin, that thing you keep struggling with, I push that thing out by allowing God to fill me. You won't Beat the things if you're just going to be like, stop it, stop it, stop it. That's not how it works, right? Of course, I change habits. I do things. I make practical changes to my life. But I'm doing it from a place of fullness, allowing God to fill me fully. And I push those things out because there's just simply no space for those things in my life. Because God fills me completely, right? It's a beautiful image. So as we go through, again, just those four points. Number one, we have to accept the cleansing. All of us, those that are believers, have accepted this cleansing, but it is like Tyler said earlier. We remind ourselves, we repeat this often. It says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. That cleanness is the free salvation that comes from Jesus Christ that died for all of us. And we have to remind ourselves continuously about what God did for us, right? His forgiveness is complete. Don't keep reminding yourself that you're dirty. 
We get stuck in that bubble all the time, right? I want to move forward. I want to change my habits. I want to get rid of the sin. And then I go, yep, but I'm still, I'm still dirty, right? I'm still stuck in that same place. God calls us for different things. Sanctification is an ongoing process. You don't have to arrive tomorrow. Just keep going one step at a time. Step into the wave. Allow God to, to do what He does, right? Second point, we allow Him to make us new. So it says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, right? A new heart and a new spirit. This is so key. Allow God to change you on the inside. The question is, do you believe this promise from God? He says He wants to put a new spirit in you. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you believe that He's done that for you already, right? Do I believe that? Or do I believe I'm still the old self, spiritually dead, stuck in my way, stuck in my patterns, stuck in my bad habits, right? God says, believe that you're new. I put a new heart in you, a new heart that is pliable so God can change me forever, right? This is one of the key things as well. If I struggle to believe in my own heart that I am new, what do I believe about the people next to me? Me and my wife talk about this often. When we have moments when we bump heads, when it's tough, you know why? Because we are fighting with the people from 15 years ago. We're still fighting with the old self, right? I don't believe I'm new. I fight with Nadia from 15 years ago, and I tell her, that's still the same you. And she's like, but I'm not that person anymore. And what are we doing? We are holding each other back. What would happen in God's kingdom? What would happen in our relationship is we saw other people as new the way God created them, right? If we realize that we are just holding people back by believing them as old, see them as new, see yourself as new, accept the promise, accept God on His Word. Don't try and replicate something else. Accept Him on His Word, right? Point three, this is the cool one. God takes over. He lives within us, right? The Bible talks about indwelling. God literally lives within us. He fills those gaps and those open spaces, right? And He gives us the Holy Spirit to do it. He literally gives us the tool and says, you want to replicate my heart? You want to do good for me? Don't do it by your own power. I will fill you with my heart. Now replicate from that place. God's fullness within us, right? So first we have the cleansing. Right? Jesus Christ make us clean right? from all our sins. He makes us new, and then He lives within us, and He fills us from the inside. And the last one, His heart replicates and then multiplies, right? His heart replicates and multiplies. It says in verse 29, I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the grain and make it abundant. Right? Bringing the little you have. We are not believers that go from zero to euro overnight. This takes time. God does miracles, right? God takes a person's heart and flips that thing upside down in one second, right? But we don't work like that. That's God's heart. Our job is, there's the wave, step in. One small decision, one small choice, one more act of obedience, 4% at a time, me and Nadia have been talking about. Little steps at a time, little shifts. And as I do that, as my heart is obedient, God takes over. He puts His fullness within me. It's a beautiful image, right? So bring the little you have. Bring the little you have. Remember the, the boy with the fish and the loaves, right? Just, God, this is all I got. God's heart touches that little pit, doesn't only replicate, but multiplies and feeds thousands, multiplies and feeds thousands, right? That little boy didn't think that morning that's what he would do that day, right? Bring the little bit. I still can't fathom why the God of the universe goes through us when he needs things done like that. It is mind-boggling. Pastor TJ always says it, plan A, no plan B, right? It is you. Allow him to take the little bit you have 
and let his heart touch it, and he will replicate and multiply and will blow your socks off. Right? Find your purpose. Find your direction. So the very simple thing is clear. With our hearts, we don't stand a chance. With God's heart, anything is possible. So our family went through a, a very dark time a couple of years of you, uh, years ago. For some of you that know me, you know the story. Um, I, I told you earlier about my mom and her sickness. Um, and after many years of being so sick and depressed and everything that goes with it, my, my mom decided to commit suicide. Right? Um, cried a little in the first service. Thought I was going to get past it. <laughs> um, so my mom tried to commit suicide. She didn't commit suicide. She tried. Very, very hard. <laughs> um, it was a tough time for our family. Uh, it wasn't fun. I remember them calling us and saying, Mom's already in the ambulance. She's on the way to the hospital. You guys better get there because she ain't going to make it. Right? We all jumped in the car. We drove to the hospital. Uh, we actually got there before the ambulance got there. And I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be like a movie. You're going to have choppers flying over. You're going to have doctors running you know, all over and paramedics and craziness. And it, it wasn't. Um, it was all quiet. The guys got out of the ambulance, sort of dawdled into the ER room, and me and my dad and my brother was like, anybody? Anybody? We actually climbed in the ambulance. There was nobody there. We could touch her. She was gray. She was cold, right? She did not seem alive. Um, afterwards, the, the guys that drove the ambulance, the paramedics, they actually told us that the reason they seemed so casual is because they weren't sure if they even should come to the hospital. They were literally having phone conversations on the way to the hospital, talking to the people saying, we shouldn't even go to the hospital. This lady should go straight to the morgue. She's dead. Right? That was the discussions. That's why there was no urgency, because in their minds, she was dead. Right? And the way I saw her, she, she was dead too. So the doctor came out, of course, and the doctor was like, uh, we'll try, also very casual, we'll try, but I'm telling you now, the chances are not good, right? She's done a lot of bad stuff to herself. She's not going to make this. Right? So it was extremely tough. Uh, it was lots of crying, lots of tears, lots of praying. That first night, my dad literally sl slept there. He didn't sleep. He prayed the whole night, man of God, right? Um, it was powerful. The next day, I mean, we were still, we were actually in South Africa on holiday. So we sort of had to, like, delay our flights. We were flying out a couple of days later. We had to cancel our flights and rebook flights and things like that. The kids were there. We were trying to keep all this together. Uh, of course, tough conversations to have with the kids. Where's Grandma? Where did Grandma go? Why is she here? Whew, tough conversations to have. Difficult time. Um, but I remember that, that first night we were in the kitchen just all trying. We've been in and out running to the ER and the ICU and whatever. And that first night we're standing in the kitchen and we're just trying to eat something. My dad's there, and the phone call comes, um, and it's literally the doctor, and the doctor goes, she's dying, like, right now. You guys need to come if you want to see her one last time. And so out of your human heart, would you not want to just jump in the car and just drive there just to see your mom just before she dies, right? Out of your human heart, wouldn't you do that? But my father, strong man of faith, my father said, no, we're going to pray, right? We literally walked into the living room, we sat down, we started to pray. And that was a, a different prayer than what I've ever prayed in my life. Right? It was a prayer filled with faith and power and authority, right? And I don't want to talk about God as sovereign, guys. We don't understand why God takes people and leaves people. That's not our job. I believe it's almost close to sin when we try and understand 
the sovereignness of God. It is His to know. It's His decisions. He understands things and knows things. We can never fathom His thoughts higher than ours, so we get all that, right? But that evening, hearts God was present as our family prayed, right? And it wasn't because we became believers in that moment, right? It's because we've lived lives that are faithful to God, and in that moment, His heart was present there with us. And we prayed a different type of prayer, and we fought the darkness, right, which wanted to steal my mom's life. And if we get that, then we understand. I remember praying and just feeling like this overwhelming love that God has for my mom. If she lives or dies, it only makes a difference to me. That life or death for God, it's just this life or the next life, right? God isn't scared of the next life. That's a good life, right? So we shouldn't be afraid of the death thing so much. But it was a, a beautiful thing. And we were praying, and about 15 minutes later, we sort of done, and we're still sort of like, hey, maybe we should go to the hospital. The phone call comes, and it literally is the doctor going, I don't know what happened. We didn't do anything on our end, but mom's heart rate just jumped through the roof. Her blood pressure just went up like crazy. She literally said, you guys don't have any, even have to come. Enjoy your family time together. That was what she said, you know. A God miracle, right? God miracle, right? And I'd love to tell you guys that after that, it was wonderful, right? We got to the hospital, and mom was sitting up and running around. She wasn't. She was still in a coma, right? She was in ICU. And all we wanted to do as a family is replicate God's heart, right? We completely lost track of our own selfish things and our own selfish thought, our stubborn-heartedness. And we said the only way we can impact this situation, when stuff like that happens and you realize you have no control, there's nothing you can do, there's only one thing you can do, right? Trust God's heart. So we, it was actually quite comical, to be honest with you. We went into that ICU, I mean, for weeks, multiple times a day going into that ICU. And what we decided to do is love people extravagantly, like crazy, right? We would walk inside there. We would make jokes. We would laugh. We would bless people. The doctors, the nurses, there was not a doctor that walked past us where we didn't grab that guy, hug him, hug her, the nurses, everybody. After a while, it, it literally was funny. You would see them walk, working on a patient. We would walk in the room, and they'd be like, okay, I'll be right back. They'd put the stuff down, walk over, come give us hugs, right? And we would just bring God's heart right into that situation. This was an ICU room with like 12 beds in it, people crying, people dying. When we stepped into that room and God's presence were there, something amazing happened, right? Not our own hearts, His. Not our own hearts, His. That the first, I think the first night we actually stood around her bed and prayed, blessing her, you know. Same story in ICU. All the doctors are like, you need to get out. You can't be here. We were like, we will stand right here and we will fight the darkness, right? And it was a beautiful thing. Afterwards, one of the nurses said to us when, uh, when we prayed like that, she literally, when we left that evening, she called all the nurses together and she said, hey guys, I don't know what the story is with this lady or with these people, but these people are special and this lady is special. So you guys will stand on guard. She literally, you will stand on guard. You will do your part. You will be excellent tonight because this lady, we're not letting her fall through our fingers, right? We're not letting her fall through the crack. So what happens in that place? When we replicate God's heart, it's not only about us. We lift the environment around us. When we look at other people and we see them as new we see them the way God loves them, right? It changes everything, right? It lifts the environment. Mom talks about um, seeing a, a dark thing in the room, right? Literally a dark presence that was trying to take her from us. And again, this is God's sovereign grace, right? A, a lady that tried to commit suicide. And there we were fighting for a life. And God was on our side, right? 
It was a beautiful thing. She says, as we prayed and as we stood in that room, as we brought love and laughter, I mean, we would laugh, people. In the ICU, we would make jokes. It's the joy of the Lord will be my strength, right? Even in the most difficult times of life. And as we would do those things, she says, she felt more connected to heaven, she says, right? She literally tells about a vision that she saw of a chain that was linked to her heart, to heaven. And as we would pray and as we would fight, she says these chains, the links in the chain would get stronger and fatter and stronger, right? And as our prayers would wane and as our faith would wane, she says this chain sort of started snapping and breaking, almost like it's, it's a real battle. And the battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's not against flesh and blood. And one last thing of that time, so, I mean, we prayed, we fought the darkness, and the one other thing that we did as a family is we stood in unity. We had a whole series about community and being together in unity, right? How easy would it be after a year that your mom committed suicide to start blaming, right? Very easily blame my dad. You suck, dad. As a husband, as a father, you should have done so much better. He could have blamed me and my wife. You guys packed up your stuff, moved to America. You broke your mom's heart, right? My brother and wife that was living there, why didn't you guys see how mom was struggling? Why didn't you help? We didn't. We didn't. God's heart is a heart of unity. It doesn't help we attack. It doesn't help we blame. And that unity is not our perspective of what unity is. Unity does not mean agreement in all things. It does not. I can like blue. Nadia can like red. That is okay. The unity it's talking about is unity in the spirit, right? It's not unity in our daily decisions. It's not unity in agreement on all things. We are different. That is okay. The agreement comes that He is the Father. He is the Lord of all things. He is the great I Am. If I put Him first, if our unity is there, all other things will be given unto us, right? Unity in that is what God is aiming at, not unity in our decisions from day to day and our differences and our choices, right? So God is clearly in the miracle business, right? He saved my mom's life. This is a picture of my mom and dad. Uh, this was like literally a couple of weeks ago on a beach somewhere with some friends. Beautiful time. Mom and dad is still in full-time ministry. They have helped thousands of people, thousands of people. Full-time ministry. My mom's understanding and my mom's heart for people has gone to a different level, right? Because she has experienced God's love in a way that we can't even fathom. And now when she counsels people, when she helps people, I always joke about it. My dad, I mean, soft-hearted, wonderful guy, but he's sort of more of a brain counselor, right? So he does sort of practical changes. My mom is sort of a hard counselor. So they even say every now and again, there's people that come and then there's a, okay, counsel, counsel, okay, now bring the heavy hitter, right? Which is my mom, <laughs> you know? Because she has experienced God's love in a way that we can't fathom, right? And it's taken her understanding of who God is and his heart for her and the people around to a different level, right? And we want that in us. We want that sort of love. Right? Next picture of us as a family, we, of course, have gone back for holiday afterwards. Um, mom and dad in the middle. Again, my beautiful wife and daughter. Look at those wonderful people. We have five kids. My brother and his wife, they have three kids. They all still live in South Africa. But we've been so blessed. We've been blessed to have holidays together after this whole thing. Uh, mom still lives in pain uh, some days, right? But it's so much better. And they're able to minister and serve people. So God is in the miracle business. We get that, right? Choices, do we believe it? Is it not a miracle? Is it not a miracle when I can ask the God of the universe to replace my stubborn heart with his? That is a miracle on its own. When I can say, God, take my stubborn heart and put your heart in me. Make me see other people the way you see them. 
Make me see myself the way you see me. I cannot help people. I cannot replicate God's heart if I do not fully understand and comprehend the love that he has for me. And our family going through a tough experience like that has made that more visual to us than ever. That stands as a pillar in our family's life of how much God loves us, right? How he listens to our prayers. It's a beautiful image. So the question is, do you want to replicate God's heart? You can't do it by polishing your car till you're crazy, right? It's not going to do it. You can't do it by trying to replicate your own heart because your own heart is stubborn and foolish. But we can do it by replicating his heart. It is his blood that pumps in our veins. It is his blood, the blood of Jesus that pumps in our veins, that forgave us from our sins. It is his blood. It is his heart that should be pumping in our chests. We take ourselves, we crucify ourselves, and we lift him up, and we put him, his fullness in us. But it's his heart. He creates the waves. It's only our job to ride it, right? So now in the second, just close your eyes one more time. Listen to his heartbeat for you. Listen to his heartbeat for you. Let him put his heart and his spirit within you. For some of you, I'm going to say a couple of words now that you've never heard before. You are enough. You are enough just the way you are. You are enough for God. You don't need to be enough for anybody in this world but for him. And you are enough. You are loved. You are loved. Nothing you can do can make God love you more. Nothing you can do can make God love you more. So God wants to fill you to overflowing. He wants to push all those things out of your life that doesn't belong there. And he wants to do it by filling you with himself so much that there's no room for anything else. He wants to replicate his heart in you. Will you let him? Will you let him in Jesus' name? Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.